Good morning, church. And welcome to our neighbors. I'm glad to be together with you. Um, Devin Fox, who's the director of the Great Commission Bible Institute, kicked off a new series for us last week called The Humble King. Um, as we are going through uh, the Christmas season, talking about what are kind of the attitudes that should steer us as we navigate the Christmas season. Now, um, one of the things that's dangerous about this time of year is, is that you get gifts. You're like, well, that doesn't sound very dangerous to me. That sounds quite pleasant, Michael. What are you talking about? No, here, think about it. If somebody gives you a gift, they are giving you an obligation, right? This is something I'm conscious of because I would love it for if people would give me like live plants. And so I'm like, oh, I know what I would love. I would love live plants. And so let me give live plants. And I've realized that most people don't want live plants because you have to keep them alive. Like I've, I have given you a gift that I thought would be meaningful, but what I've actually done is burdened you with the guilt of murder. <laughs> There's sometimes we just get a gift and we don't, like, we didn't really want it. It's not exactly what we wanted. And, and it's, it's a nice gift. It's thoughtful. I just am never going to use it. Or, or have you ever had the experience where you really wanted something? And you knew that this thing that you wanted was like the key to your life. Like this is the thing that's going to make all of your thing, all of your life go great. You're going to, uh, um, you're going to be able to sleep better. You're going to be able to be more organized. You're going to whatever, like the, whatever this thing. And then you get it, and you're like, this thing is not as great as the thing that I wanted. The thing that I wanted solved all my problems. The thing that I got doesn't solve my problems. I'm st I still have to fix some things, right? You ever like been disappointed with a gift that you really wanted, and now that you have it, you're like, meh. I don't really, I don't really want to use this so much. Now we'll we'll talk a little bit about that this morning. But as is our habit together as Neighborhood Church, I'd invite you to pray together with me uh, the disciples' prayer. Um, this is the model of prayer that Jesus left for those who would follow him. Um, and it's helpful uh, if we're going to pray it together to use the same words. So I put them up on the screen. Um, it may be a different translation than you memorized as a child. But uh, whether you've memorized it or not, I just encourage you to bow your hearts and to pray these words. Don't, don't, don't just say them because you know them. Don't just be thinking about the next line. Pray these words because the power is not in the words. The power is in the attitude that's formed in your heart as we talk to God, right? Oh, cool. You guys are about that. Let's do it. <clears throat> our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to turn there, and then I'll tell you what page it's on in the blue Bibles. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, it may be helpful for you to do so. Uh, there's blue Bibles tucked under the chair in front of you, and the font's real big, so that should be helpful. And we're going to be on page uh, 1222, 
12.22 in the Blue Bibles, if you'd like to follow along. If you don't have a Bible and you're here today and you'd like one, then just write your name in that one and take it home. Um, it's a gift for you. Merry Christmas. Hopefully it's not one that you will find burdensome and guilt-riddingly. Um, yeah, so let's read together. And just for continuity, um, just for continuity, I'm going to read more than I'm going to talk about extensively. We're going to pick up in chapter 2, and I'm going to read uh, from verse 1 all the way down to the first part of verse 8 as kind of our foundation. Now, this is a, a letter that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a city called Philippi. People who live in the city called Philippi, they call the Philippians. That's where the name of the book came from. So, as he writes... Uh, it seems like perhaps there's some conflict in church. I know it's hard to imagine that church people would ever fight about anything, but it seems like there's some kind of a conflict in church that he's writing to address, and this is what he says in Philippians chapter 2. And, and just a side note, I think this passage is the one I most use for our scripture reading um, in our worship. Like, this is the passage, if I don't know what to read, I'm probably going to read Philippians 2. Like, it's, it's near and dear to my heart. I know we learned last week that uh, Caroline Fox, Devin's wife, it's her favorite. So, anyway, that was free. Here we go. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. We'll pause there. Paul's given this exhortation to church folks, and he's saying, hey, guys, what I need you to do is I need you to um, uh, be of the same mind. I need you to be unified, and I need you to be unified around serving one another and not looking only to your own interests. I love that the Bible's straight. It's real. It's like, hey, I know you're going to be concerned about your own interests, so look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others, not thinking less of yourself, not thinking that you're worth less, but considering others as more valuable than you. Because you've got this example. You've got Christ Jesus, in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, there's some things I want to tell you, and I'm going to tell you, and if you have, uh, if you've been around a while, these things are going to be like, oh, no, duh. And if you're new to, if you're new to Christianity, then maybe this is some new information. If you've uh, wandered around re the religious sphere for a while and just kind of seeking, there's some of these things that I'm going to say that are going to sound like they're new, um, but what I'm, the reason I'm giving you this information is because there are people who do not teach this. They teach opposite things that are untrue. 
Okay? <clears throat> so, first, God became human. God became human. And, oh, excuse me, that's the second point. Look at this. I can't even follow my own outline. I, I will say that later, but forget that I said that now. The first point is this. Oh, my gosh. Uh, give me a week off, and I just can't even keep my thoughts straight. <clears throat> first point is this. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. <clears throat> Have this mind among yourselves as yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus was God. When we talk about the nativity and we talk about Jesus' birth on earth, we are not talking about the creation of a new entity. There was no point where Jesus began. He is God, and so he has no beginning. Jesus existed before he was put into human flesh, which is unique among humans. Humans are created when a man and a woman love one another very much and they come together and show their affection physically. Like, babies are created there. That moment of conception is a moment of creation. There was no, there is no, and I know that we've seen movies that do this and it's a Mormon idea. There, there is no, like, uh, uh, um, uh, safety vault somewhere in heaven where we keep the baby souls before they get implanted. Like, that doesn't exist. Baby souls are made when their bodies are made. It all happens together, which is the miracle of life. And scientists can observe it, but they can't describe it because they don't understand how the spirit works, which is a whole different sermon. But, but Jesus is God. He did not, he existed before he was put into flesh. He actually is a character in the Hebrew scriptures. He's a character in the Old Testament. Have you, have you heard of or read of this guy that they call the angel of the Lord? And what's unique about angels is, is if you run into an angel, you will be terrified. And, and sometimes when you run into an angel and you're terrified, you will, the impulse that you will have is to worship this being which is clearly superior to you. But real angels will not let you do that. If you run into an angel he'll, and you worship him, he'll say, hey, don't, don't do that. It's, I'm, not, I'm not the one you need to worship, you need to worship God. What's interesting about the angel of the Lord is he does not stop people from worshiping him. When, when he shows up, he's like, yeah, you, you got the right guy. And I'm, I suspect, maybe not every time, but frequently when the angel of the Lord appears in the Hebrew scriptures, we're talking about Jesus before he had a body, which means, which means, which means that eternal, almighty, uncreated God confined himself to a single place in time in a single space in time confined himself to humanity and I can I can I just said him I can say those words to you but my brain does not even really understand the thing I just told you how does the immaterial take on, like it's one thing if he's just kind of a spirit thing, but this is almighty God. This is speak and physics and light and protons and electrons and photons all come into existence. And that power, that authority, that uncreated being limits himself to a single place in time. 
Jesus is God. He is preexistent. He is uncreated. This is, this is almost as if uh, you could picture like an author. An author writes down words, typically. <clears throat> writes down words on a page, okay? Now, if that human author, that mind, could limit himself to black and white print and enter into the story he was writing as a character, the whole being of the author into the text of the book, then maybe we could understand what it is that Jesus has done. Not, not like writing the story so that it seems like he's part of the story, not like projecting some of his identity into some of the characters as he writes the story. No, no, no. Like author confines himself to black and white print. And they're in the story, impacting the story. Uncreated God limits himself to human flesh. He is the author of creation. God brought you into this world, and he'll take you out. Because he brought the world into this world. And he'll roll it up and take it home when he's ready. And so the guy who made the story, the guy who wrote the book, the God who invented like the way that pages fit together, the one who invented the process gets to define what the rules are. He speaks with authority. He's not like other religious teachers. Now, occasionally, I'm, I'm understood to be a religious teacher. <clears throat> and I heard another pastor say this this week. I'm like, you know what? That's right. If I was trying to teach you some religious principles, and I suddenly said, you know what, I need you to know, I need you guys to know that I am the definition of truth here, that, that, that I am the only way that you will get to heaven. My hope is that if I said those words, like with sincerity, that all of you would just get up and walk out. Please? <laughs> Please? Because <clears throat> religious teachers are not the truth. They, they give testimony to the truth. They point to the truth. If the best ones point to the way to be right with God. But Jesus gets up and says, Here, here's the deal, guys. I'm the definition of reality. There is nothing that exists outside of me. And if you don't walk with me, there's no legs to walk on. He speaks with authority. He's not like every other religious teacher. And yet he did not grasp on to his divinity. He did not cling on to it and say, I have to remain this way. I have to be the one in charge. I have to be the one that everybody has their eyes fixed on. He did not grasp or cling to his divinity. See, Jesus gives us the mind to serve those he humbly served. Jesus is God, and God became human. This is the, the, the fancy church word for this is incarnation. Can you say that? Incarnation. incarnation. It's not carnitas. We're not, talking about, um, we're not talking about Chipotle. This is incarnation. <clears throat> Shouldn't have thought about burritos. I'm sorry. <clears throat> incarnation. This is, this is the miracle of the manger. This is Jesus is God and God became human. God did not see our sin from afar up on his throne and judge it from afar and send disaster to wipe us out. God did not send a messenger, tell one of his angels, hey, go tell those guys that they're idiots and they need to knock it off. 
I mean, he, he did that sometimes, but here in Jesus, he comes himself. God says, you know what? A messenger ain't going to do it. The consequences of their, the natural consequences of their actions is insufficient to communicate what they need to know. I will go myself. What does the presence of a person mean in a circumstance? You've got a problem at work, you're kind of trying to sort things out. Like, what does the presence of your boss walking into the room do to that problem? Somebody's in trouble. Y'all better, I don't know what we were talking about before, but we're fixing this now. So the boss comes into the room. (laughs) He chooses to be present. He could very easily write some, some dictation and send some memos. He could very easily send a story, but he shows up in the flesh. And he's God. Like, he can choose when to show up. And here is God's great mercy. Here's God's great love. He chose to show up at a time where air conditioning didn't exist. God knew that one day there would be air conditioning, and he chose to come thousands of years before it existed. Now, if that doesn't show you how much love he has for humanity, I don't know what is. We can't even survive a Sunday without air conditioning. we gotta, we got to replace it right now. we got to take a loan to solve this problem immediately. But Jesus says, I will come in the flesh. I will be there. I will be born to you an infant. You will change my dirty diapers. I will, teenagers, I will submit myself to parents that I literally know more than. I will allow my father and mother to teach me things that I already know. I will submit to their decisions even when I know that they are wrong. I will, I will, I will trust them and I will entrust myself to them even as an infant. And of all the families, like if you had to pick, none of us got to, but if you had to pick, like what family would you choose to be born to? I think probably most of us would say not the one that I got. And perhaps we'd say, like, yeah, I want to be born into, like, a presidential or a royal family. Like, I want to I have that silver spoon, if you know what I'm saying. And he did not do that. He got born. He chose to be born at a time with no air conditioning to parents that were dumber than him to blue-collar workers. Joseph was a, was a, was a construction worker. And that's where God chooses to insert himself into the story. Which just makes me beg the question, who do we choose to be present with? I don't know if you know this, but your attention is a commodity. There there are billion dollar organizations trying to figure out how to get and hold your attention. Who do we choose to be present with? Are we, are we so fixated on the little light square in the imaginary world beyond the interwebs that we neglect the folks that are sitting in the room with us? And, I, and I'm not speaking as somebody who has mastered this. I come to you as one who fails miserably. In fact, he failed miserably yesterday. 45 minutes scrolling while my kids are running around the living room. 
Who do we choose to be present with? And, and what does Jesus' choice to be present with humanity in that way tell us about who we should be endeavoring to be present with? Should we only stand up straight when the boss comes in? Should we only seek to be in the company of those people who have power and authority and, and people who can make our lives better? Or can we go to those who have nothing to offer us? Who we, who we know more than, who we're, we're better put together than, who we've got our act together more than, and can we meet them there? and just be present with them. Because having all authority, and he does, I'm not saying he doesn't, having all authority does not mean that he intends to be authoritarian. The heart of God is not to control us. Because guess what? He already does. He could do that if he wanted to. Like, if you think you're in control of your life, that's, that's a different sermon, but... <clears throat> The heart of God is not to control us. His heart is to lead us to ways of living that are actually life. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. But our rebellion, if we rebel against life, the only possible result is death. And we can convince ourselves that that's not true. We're, we're pretty good at ignoring that. We, we rarely anticipate that our rejection of the way that God gives us life is death. But Jesus gives us a mind to serve those that he humbly served. He demonstrated this on the night before he went to be executed. Um, so there's a biography in the Bible written by one of Jesus' closest friends. We, we call it John. And, and, he, uh, and as he writes, he spends the first 12 chapters talking about three years, three years of ministry in 12 chapters. And then the next, like, seven chapters are one night because that's the night before Jesus was executed. So the whole story slows down, and Jesus says, I have some things I need to teach you. And the way he starts off that night, while everybody's eating their Christmas dinner, their big celebratory Passover meal, as everybody's eating their, their big meal, he gets up from the head of the table, the seat of honor, and he goes and grabs a towel and begins to wash each of his disciples' feet. And it was so offensive, they wouldn't even let him do it. You're the teacher. You're the one with authority. You're the, we should be washing your feet, and yet you're going to wash our feet? Like, we should be serving you, and you're here to serve us? That's not the way it is. And he says, this is what I came to show you. The Son of Man came not to be served. He could have had it. He had all authority, and he could have controlled our lives, and he could have made us robots that only know what is true and acknowledge the truth of what is, and he chose instead this other path, which to me does not make sense, but the wisdom of God confounds the wisdom of man, and this is what he's chosen to do. He washes their feet, and he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you, that you... Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, by your love for other people, all people will know that you belong to me. What do our loves tell us about the king we're bowing to? If I were to ask you, like, what do you love? Or if I were to just take an inventory of the amount of things that you spend time on. If I just said, if you spend more time on it, perhaps you love it more. Which, which is not a one-for-one one truth, but perhaps it's an indicator. What do our loves tell us about the king we are bowing to? I 
And I wish I could leave it there because that's introspective. I feel like I could probably wrap some of my heart around that, but Jesus takes it a step further. Did you hear it? What do our loves tell our neighbors about the king we bow to? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so, we are to humbly serve those who Jesus humbly served. He starts off in verses 1 and 2, which we read together, that you've got to be unified. You've got to be on the same page. Unity, not uniformity. You're not supposed to be identical, but you should all have the same purpose. You should be united in your purpose, uh, although you each have various ways of expressing that purpose. And then he says, you got to be humble. Which I feel like, if I feel like I'm doing a good job being humble, I have already failed. Right? Because as soon as I notice that I'm being humble, like, oh, it's over. And I'm, oh, that was really humble in that moment. <sighs> Missed it. That close. It's not thinking of less of myself, it's thinking of myself less. What if it never occurred to me that I had been humble? Perhaps then there was a chance that I was reflecting the spirit of Christ who, <laughs> who did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counted others more significant than himself. Who did not, who being in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. It's, it's simple to say, but it's not easy to do. But this is the path to life. I don't know if anybody will tell you this, so let me tell you. <clears throat> they didn't teach this in school. Your life is not about you. Your life is not about you, and it never was. And if you choose to make a life that is about you, It won't be a life you want to live. But Jesus gives us the mind to humbly serve those he humbly served. If you're far from God, you're probably interacting with this in one way, and if you've been following Jesus for a while, you're probably interacting with it with, in another way. So let me, let me talk to both real quick. Um, let me talk to the believers first, because y'all are easy punching bags, JK. <clears throat> Just look with me at verse 5 real quick. Followers of Christ, disciples of Jesus, have this mind among yourselves which is yours. which is yours. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. It belongs to you. It's in your possession. Have this mind, this humble mind of service and, and, and generous love towards other people. Have this mind among yourselves, which already is in your possession. 
If you have turned your life to Christ and said, I trust you and you're going to sort out this sin debt that I have with, with the Father, like I'm giving my life over to you, he says, then I will give you my mind. And you have in your possession, whether you listen to it or not, you have in your possession the mind of Christ. Have this mind in you which is yours. There's nothing to acquire. It's already there. Maybe it's a gift we've received that we, once we got it, we're like, God, I wanted life abundant. That sounded like Ferraris, and what you're telling me it is is serving one another. Life abundant. I thought I was getting out of debt, man. I thought this was going to be a good life, but you're telling me I've got to spend all I have, invest myself into ungrateful people? You're telling me I got to, you're telling me I got to listen when that person wants to talk again? About the same thing I talked to them about three months ago? I, I, wanted, I wanted a life abundant, and I thought that that meant that I was going to be the center of my life, but I've, I've got it now, and now I'm realizing that the life abundant is a life that's not about me, and I don't think I like that. I feel the giggles too. It makes me uncomfortable. Like I'm looking in the mirror. I don't come before you as somebody who's ascertained it, who's, who's grabbed a hold of this. I'm looking at it going, oh man, Christ help me. This is an identity that believers possess. So how are we reshaping our thoughts to conform to Jesus' mind? This is yours. It belongs to you. Will you use it? And if you're far from God, if you're skeptical about Jesus, you're like, I don't know about all this kind of stuff. I'm trying to figure out Bible things. Like, cool, I'm, I'm super glad that you're here. But hear this. <clears throat> Even if that offer of, uh, or that, that, that picture of a life devoted to serving others does not immediately become attractive to you, like, I don't want to give my life up. I don't want to surrender. <laughs> Then, then, then let me hear, then let me state it to you this way. God has already met you there. Jesus has already, regardless of your input, he did not ask your permission, Jesus has already become flesh in order that you might come, in order that you might come to understand that he is worth giving your life over to. And so in the same way, a call, a pitch to lay down your life and to serve other people might sound um, might sound uh, less than ideal, hear, hear it this way, that somebody has already served you. Somebody has already laid down their life on your behalf. Somebody has already poured themselves out, emptied themselves in order to communicate to you how deep their love is for you. And so that life-giving service is available to you you'll trust him. And so let's pray together.
God, thanks for your word. Thanks for the way you, you challenge us. Thanks for the community. That's a safe place to be challenged. It's a safe place to be encouraged. Lord, I thank you for all of the things that we find in the body that you're building. And I pray that you'd have your will in us. All the authority in heaven and on earth belongs to you, and yet you choose to go with us to the end of the age. And so, Lord, help us to become increasingly aware of your presence in every moment of our lives. And help us to increasingly be aware of how we are investing our own presence in the lives of those around us. This is not something we can do by ourselves. We can't just buckle up and try harder this week. God, we need you to lead the way. We cling to you. Would you drag us along? I'll just give you a few moments to pray and interact with God on your own, just a few moments of quiet. And so, if you've never talked with Jesus, it's, it's, not, it's not that much different from talking to anybody else. In fact, if this is your first time talking to Jesus, just let me introduce you real quick. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you know us and you love us. And these are my new friends. But I pray that you would hear the concerns and the burdens of their heart. And I pray that you would assure them of your great love for them in these moments. Thank you for a few quiet moments this week, right at the beginning. I ask that you continue the work that you start in this place throughout the rest of the week. For your name's sake and for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen.